Hi, this is Bob Sorrentino from Italian Roots and Genealogy, and I'm here today with Karen Haid, and we're going to talk about her second book, Basilicata, Authentic Italy. So welcome, Karen. Thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks. Thanks again for inviting me, and very happy to be talking about another wonderful region of South Italy. Uh, yeah, and you know, I have to admit, until I started doing some of this uh, genealogy stuff, I never even heard of Basilicata. So, <laughs> I mean, well, yes. I knew Calabria and Puglia and those places, but never knew Basilicata. Yeah. Well, actually, that isn't really that unusual. Um, and also, there's even some confusion, particularly with older people in Italy, about Basilicata because the name has changed over the years. Um, let's say many, many years ago, BC, it was generally referred to as Lucania, the area. That, that was an ancient people, the Lucanians. Um, and uh, around 1100 or so in that period, when the Normans came in, the name became Basilicata, and the thought is that it was named after this great, great cathedral that they built. And that held for a long time, up until Mussolini's time, when he wanted to sort of harken back to ancient times. And he officially changed the name to Lucania. So people who went to school in, in that time period and, and even used books um, and still in some older books, that was the name. And, uh, and then... Afterwards, it went back to Basilicata. So the confusion is very understandable. Um, and also another little interesting uh, point is that the people are called Lucanians. Wow. So once again, you know, Calabria, Calabrian or Calabrese in, in the language in, in Basilicata, it's uh, the Lucani or Lucanians, Lucano or Lucana for feminine. Um, and so that also adds to the confusion. Uh, okay, well, that's good. So I'm not. You didn't alone. expect that whole answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great. That's, that's, we got that out of the way, right? <laughs> um, and so, so uh, the, the original peoples that settled there, I mean, I know it was probably some ancient tribe, but was it mm -hmm. predominantly Greek like a lot of Southern Italy or? Uh, the Greeks were, were definitely there. There were. Um, tribes that were originally there. Then actually the Lucanian people came from a little further north and they moved in. They were very strong people, but there were various tribes in, in the area. The Greeks certainly settled there and uh, many of the cities today were, were founded by the Greeks. Um, so, and there are, there are many uh, Greek artifacts in the museums. Then the Romans came and once again, uh, there are, are artifacts in many uh, beautiful artifacts in the Museum of Roman. Um, there is even a town of Venosa uh, that has um, catacombs, both Christian and Jewish catacombs from the Roman period. So, uh, of course, it had all of the, the people who came in just as in, in all of, of southern Italy, all of the the for example, then the uh, Byzantines and the Normans and all of the other people who came in and conquered them. So a lot of history. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about the tribes is uh, I've I posted a couple of things about tribes and and um, 
a lot of Italian Americans get very uptight about this tribe thing and they don't understand that um, there were a lot of people in Italy that I guess were native for lack of a better word mm -hmm. uh, that weren't Roman or, you know, there was no Tuscany or Umbria or Puglia or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The life went on before Rome. Yes. And yes. That's yes. And it's amazing when you go to the museums, Basilicata uh, in particular has uh, some very interesting archaeological museums. And it's amazing when you see the, the pottery and the artifacts that come from the tombs, beautiful um, metalwork also that were pre-Greek. So yeah, it really is amazing how sophisticated people were. That's uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah and, and that, and and I know you know, I know you mentioned uh, Jewish. Um, again, a lot of people. I mean, I have Jewish blood. I mean, mm -hmm. most Italians do, especially Southern Italy. And again, people don't realize that right. they were there. Whether I, now, I don't know if they came in because of the Romans or if you know the Mediterranean and people were just traveling around and and they wound up in Southern Italy. Yes, they they came in. Um, uh, when they when there were problems in uh, Jerusalem, so yeah. they came in very very early. I, we, I guess I don't want to give a day. I think it's like seventy nine. Um, but uh, yeah, they came in very very early, and so the cultures existed coexisted. Yeah, 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 and, and quite and I, quite peacefully. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Terrain wise. Um, mm -hmm. What is it like compared to the rest of Italy? I know they they're mm -hmm. on the you know they have do have a little bit of water, a mm -hmm. little bit of waterfront, but compared to let's say Calabria or Campania or Puglia, which is kind of surrounding, mm -hmm. um, what is the terrain like there? Mm -hmm. Well, Basilicata is very very mountainous, and what aren't mountains practically are hills. Um, so almost half of the of this little region, which is about the size between Connecticut and Delaware, to give an idea, um, are mountains and pretty high mountains. Um, and then another third, at least, are hills or more. And then they have a, a small area of flatland where there's actually quite a bit of ag agriculture in, in that flatland. They grow a lot of fruit, um, of course, grain. Um, and then, as you say, it's it's this, some people uh, call it the instep of the boot. Whereas, yes. You know, Calabria right. is the toe, Puglia is, is the heel, and they call it the instep. I've also heard the ankle bone, which is really interesting because it really gives the idea of height, that there, there are high mountains. Um, and, but interestingly, they also have these two little coastlines, uh, one on the Tyrrhenian Sea, and that's on the west coast, and then on the Ionian Sea to the, the south. And they aren't very long, but it, they have beaches, and they also have um, that same kind of look like the Amalfi Coast, because it, it continues down the mountains on the western coast. So you have these, this beautiful uh, landscape of the Rocky Mountains to the sea, and then on that sort of southeastern coast, you have the flat sandy beaches oh so, wow so that's interesting yeah yes and then these all these these mountains so there's skiing there for example and uh, other mountain type sports 
Right. And uh, so I know as you were traveling through there, you had mm-hmm. another train adventure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I rode on many trains. Um, yeah. And also buses. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, but the, 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 the one thing that I read was, um, I'm trying to think of how exactly how you phrased it about uh, Christ was here or Christ said, don't go there oh, or something like that. <laughs> no. Okay. I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. There's a very... A famous book by Carlo Levi, who was exiled to uh, Basilicata during Mussolini's time, a political uh, exile. Uh, many, many people uh, political, for political reasons were exiled to the South because they were considered sort of banished to the ends of the earth. And, and they would be in these small towns. He wrote a book afterwards called Christ Stopped at Eboli. And I read the book both in English and Italian. It's a wonderful book. And, you, you know, Eboli, I just figured it was someplace in Campania, the region where Naples is. I never gave it much thought. I never really looked it up. And I was on the train going from a town called Batipaglia, which is just south of Salerno, uh, to Potenza, which is the largest city in Basilicata. And I look up and all of a sudden it said, next stop, Eboli. <laughs> and I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Christ stopped at Eboli. You know, what should I do? Should I get off? Um, and, uh, you know, everything looked com- completely normal. It's a normal train station. Um, and so it really went through my mind. Um, yeah, uh, what's going to happen afterwards? You know, is it going to be this nothingness? Uh, and um, of course it was a beautiful landscape. Um, so yes, at the end of the first chapter, I say, Jesus Christ, don't stop at Eboli. So whatever you do, don't stop at Eboli. It's a, a beautiful region. So what is Basilicata known for? I mean, as far as um, I know you mentioned, you know, they have a lot of agriculture, of course, a lot of Southern Italy does. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there any certain products that they're, that they're known for mm-hmm. there? Their uh, sort of number one product, the most uh, sort of famous uh, product is the pepperoni crusco. Okay, pepperoni is um, a pepper and crusco, I imagine stands for the word uh, crispy. It's what they do is they take these certain type of peppers that are grown in the area there and they dry them. So you see these red peppers hanging dried all over the region from balconies together with laundry. And then they flash fry them in olive oil, just less than a minute. And they get real crispy. And they use these in in their cooking. So then they'll take them and break them up on top of pasta or uh, they'll have a a piece of fish and and these beautiful crispy peppers uh, cooked uh, lying next to them. So they're really known for these peppers, pepperoni cruschi. So, oh wow! Yeah, no, yeah. I've I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's really not something that's eaten in other parts of Italy. They eat it also in northern Calabria, because mm, the Polino Mountains, the mountains in the south of Basilicata, are shared with Calabria, so it's sort of one big area, and and as as we all know, the regions are just political 
guidelines uh, before the, the regions, uh, people moved around and didn't realize that, oh, we're moving to the next region. They don't eat that here, right? right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're also very well known for uh, their wine. There's uh, Alianico del Vultere. Vultere, it looks like vulture when you write it in English, but it's pronounced Vultere. Um, Vultere was, is an extinct volcano. So there's an extinct volcano there that's a, a really lovely nature area now. There are two lakes in, in the crater of the volcano, but the land around it is very good, very good for wine. And so the grape is the Alianico and, and the, the, they call Alianico del Vultere from the area of this Vultere volcano. So that you can also find in the United States. Oh, I'm gonna have to look for that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's the Alianico also from the Campania region and um, then Alianico del Vultere. Ah, we're gonna have to, gonna have to check that out. So um, now, Matera, mm -hmm. I thought, I didn't realize, I thought Matera was actually in Puglia. Uh, and I don't know why I thought <laughs> that other than it was, uh, and maybe it was because when I was planning the trip with uh, Letizia uh, and going, we were going to go to Puglia, hopefully we're going to go eventually. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she wanted us to stop there. So maybe in my mind, it just kind of, I thought, but it's kind of right on the border, right? Yes. And you're not the only one. Lots of people think that because unfortunately, most people who visit Basilicata only visit Matera. And so maybe they come into the airport in Bari, which is in Puglia, and, and they don't and, and they go to Matera, which is, is about an hour away. And so they assume that they're still in Puglia because mm -hmm. most of their vacation, let's say, will be centered around Puglia. So no, that's that's a very it's very common, right? And and it's also um, from from what I've read, um, mm -hmm. it was almost kind of like a ghost town or nothing there until just recently, right? And now they've I guess they have the caves and they've started to do a little bit more tourism. But I heard it's I heard it's a beautiful place. Yes, Matera is really like uh, no other place, and for that reason, it was. Uh, awarded the uh, Capital of Culture for, of Europe in 2019. So it's really a beautiful place. It's also a World Heritage Site. And what these, you hear the caves of, of Matera, they call the Sassi di Matera. Uh, Sasso in Italian is, is the word for stone, Sassi di Matera, it, because it, it looks like this stone city and it's been used a lot in film uh, because they, they, to look like, let's say, Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. um, and what it is, is there, there's a canyon, uh, and it, it's and on both sides of the canyon, there, there were some natural caves, but there's also this type of stone that was strong, but easy to carve, or easy enough. I've never carved stone. <laughs> um, and so the, the town developed from these caves. Uh, also, many uh, religious people came to the area and they had churches in many of these caves. So there are beautiful frescoes in a lot of the caves. And 
so you, you hear the word caves and so you think, oh, very, very primitive. But once again, there was a sophistication about them. There was a whole system of water, of canaling underneath these caves um, and, and reservoirs because the area uh, gets not very much rainfall. And so they were clever people. So they're looking at that, how they used their water resources, looking at that now. Over time, these caves became overcrowded and people were living in places that were never meant uh, for people to be living in. Um, and, and so in the 1950s, the caves were emptied out officially and they built apartment complexes all around in the area and they were empty for many years. And then gradually they started, people started looking at them and, and there's been a rebirth and you can sleep in a cave. Um, you, there are restaurants in, in, in the caves. It's, uh, it's becoming very gentrified, one might say. But it's a very interesting place to visit because there is so much history. Wow, that's incredible. I had no idea that they had that, you know, that kind of sophistication with reservoirs. and Yeah, and yeah. That. And you can, you can go down and see one. Um, yeah, very sophisticated. And then also there are beautiful churches, uh, Romanesque churches, Baroque churches on, the, on the, the main level. That's called the piano, the, the top level of the Sassi. So it's a very, it's a very interesting place. You could spend so much time there just exploring it all. Yeah. And I, and I got the impression that, um, that uh, I'm going to call them Lucanians, uh, that okay. they were, they were very religious people. Yeah. Well, I, you can say that about all Italians. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly in earlier centuries. Yes, they're absolutely uh, very religious people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so, uh, well, like most of it, I mean, you can't turn yeah. around in Italy without bumping into a church or a chapel right. or right. a monastery right. or something like that. Right. And then, of course, every town has um, their procession, the patron saint. And um, I, I went to a couple that, and they're just very colorful. And I described them in great detail in, in the book. Um, but many of them have sort of pagan influences. For example, there's this one that's called the marriage of the trees. And they bring one tree from one forest with oxen, 120 oxen dragging these uh, big tree trunks down. And another smaller tree comes from another forest. They bring them together, put in, in the town, put them together and climb up the tree afterwards. This festival, which is a spring festival, putting these trees together, the marriage of the trees, is together with the patron saint, the procession of the saint. So it's the, it's the old and the new. We'll be right back. Italian Roots and Genealogy is proudly sponsored by Your Dolce Vita and Dawn Matera connecting people to their purpose in life and continuing their legacy. For more information, contact Dawn at www.yourdolcevita.com. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and there's a lot of that in Italy where they mm-hmm. took pagan customs and you yeah. know, made them into some sort of you know Christian or Catholic custom. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what is the parade of the Turks? And I'll I'll, I'll tell you why I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. My mom's family uh, is Nicoletti, and from 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 Bari. And uh-huh. the legend with the Nicolettis is mm-hmm. that they went to Turkey to steal or uh, abduct or uh, grab, I don't know what the right mm-hmm. word is, uh, the uh, the relics from St. Nicholas. Uh-huh. So there's a Turkish history somewhere. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know how much of it's, you know, legend or whatever, but supposedly mm-hmm. a bunch of people, sailors from Bari went to Turkey to get these bones. Uh, and they, they were known then after that as the Nicoletti. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Well, the, the Arabs were always trying to uh, invade. And sometimes they were successful in Southern Italy, as we know in Sicily, for example, um, and also uh, Basilicata. And the parade of the Turks is, uh, shows the victory over the Turks. So it's, um, it's celebrating the victory over the Turks. The, the thing about the parade is it's not really an historical reenactment. They have people dressed up like Turks looking mean they have harem girls, um, and they also have their patron saint, San Gerardo, uh, who actually goes through the city as a young boy, which there are many theories as to why he, he would be a young boy as opposed to a man. So uh, it, it's, and there are flag throwers, um, and there are many, many customs. There are 1,500 characters in the parade. Wow. So, yeah, like, it's a, so it's, so it's like a, it's almost like a, a stage kind of play where they have these. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that sounds yeah. cool. And there are, are um, the well-to-do noble townsfolks, those people all dressed up in those type of costumes. And then they're the, the farmer uh, town folk. And uh, yes. And so it's, once again, it's, it's this sort of amalgamation of, of a Christian, and a little bit of history um, because also they, um, they have this boat that goes through, but there isn't a navigable river in Potenza. So, and there wasn't at that time either. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting parade and there's lots of um, speculation as to why these different uh, elements were put together, but nobody can really say for sure, um, but it's a real happening. Uh, so I, I went to the parade and described that uh, rather detail in the book. Yeah, that's why you probably uh, saw the parade of the Turks in, yeah, in the yeah. chapters. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I've watched those things on television. We, we, um, when we were in Sorrento, um, it wasn't a parade as much of it was the um, tavola of some saint. I forget what, what saint it was. Um, and um, we asked somebody because we saw them setting up all of these stands and everything. And mm-hmm. and um, uh, I asked somebody, they said, oh, well, you know, you, you probably want, it's not really a festival. It's, it's really just food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I said, well, that's, you know, we have to eat. That's fine. That sounds good. What I didn't know was that the first off you had to, you had to buy like, you know, little tickets. You couldn't just pay for it. You had to get these tickets first. So once I figured that out, not knowing Italian, I finally figured mm-hmm. this out. Uh, but then it was just this mad rush for these tables of food. Like oh. they never ate before. <laughs> <laughs> well, they bought their tickets. They had their tickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we eventually, I eventually somehow was able to get at least a little bit of food. But my wife to this day reminds me, we hardly ate anything that day because we couldn't get near, you couldn't get near enough to think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Italians uh, are enthusiastic about food. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, but besides the, the peppers, what, is there any special kind of pastas or dishes, you know? Uh, you know, what I learned just recently, which I didn't know, I watched it from watching uh, Stanley Tucci that Rome, for example, they had a lot of pigs because they didn't have room for cows. So mm-hmm. pigs take up less room. So they had pigs there. And I know Capricota, where my, you know, great grandparents are from, they had, the, you know, they had the sheep. So um, what are their staples in Basilicata? Because, you know, I love food. So, yes. Well, of course, uh, pork is a staple all over Italy. And so, Pork is definitely a staple. Um, cheese, like in all over Italy. Um, the sausages and salamis that you find in South Italy, the, the type of sausage and salamis. Um, they also have a type of cow or beef that's called the podolica. It's a, a breed that's a hardy breed and that is good in the mountains. And it's actually the same breed that carries the, uh, those trees down that I mentioned oh, yeah. for that festival. And, and so there, you, you'll find that type of beef in, in restaurants. Of course, poor people were not eating steaks every night, which most people were poor, as we know. So beans, as in, in many places throughout Italy, it were a staple. Interestingly, there's also um, a, a root, I guess you would call it a root vegetable called a lampascione. And it's this little, what looks like a small onion. And this is very particular to that area. It's, it's, but it really actually isn't an onion. It's really a hyacinth bulb. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's it's a little bit bitter, um, and they will put it in stews or pickle it, and so that's an interesting little vegetable. Yeah, and so and food pastas like all over Italy. Right, right. Yeah, um, because also the region, being very mountainous, it it also tends to look at the regions around it. So there's Puglia um, to the east. And, and so, for example, there'll be some towns that will eat quite a bit of fish or along the, the coast. And then there's Potenza is near Campania. And so there'll be the type of food that you would see there. And same thing with the, the looking to Calabria, because there are these mountains that, that really divide the region. And they say for that region, 
that reason, the region has been an area of emigrants uh, for as, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, so there's been a lot of emigration um, from Basilicata. That's a little uh, different from food, but anyway. Uh, yeah, no, but yeah, it, yeah. it came full circle. But yeah. uh, you know, and that's you know, that's the um, that's the really neat thing I think about Italy too, with these regions, um, mm. that they all seem to have one or two kinds of things that are just specific to there, grown there. Mm -hmm. They don't really eat it in other regions, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, like when I was talking to Gianluca and, and uh, you know, he told me about the, um, the citrus fruit. Um, I can't, I can't. I mean the bergamot? Bergamot, right. Mm -hmm. That's like, I don't know, he said 95% of the world's growth. Yes, you know. bergamot comes from Calabria. Yeah, it's just like, it's just so amazing that. Yeah, and also. They all have these kinds of things. Right, and also, um, for example, just now, they're starting to send some of the actual bergamot fruit up to northern Italy. Just now, in these last you know five years, let's say, wow. before they hadn't hadn't done that. I mean, and it is interesting, like you say, the pepperoni uh, pepperoni kruski. You you're not going to walk into Milan in a restaurant and you're going to find you you won't find a dish with that crumbled on top. You could why why couldn't you? But but it's just not like that in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I find that I find that so so amazing. Yeah, it's um, very regional. Yeah, and you know, even mm -hmm. to this, and it's not like it's that big a place, you know that you. No, no, but it, transportation. When you think of uh, the, all the mountains, and so it really wasn't as easy to get around as what what even in the United States we have so much flat land. But right. you pretty much go by boat and um, and then you, you have your your donkey and you, <laughs> you know, you start going up the mountain. Well, yeah. And, you know, my my uh, my mom's oldest brother, he didn't come to America until um, he didn't leave Italy till 1950 with his family mm -hmm. and talking to them. I mean, you know, all right. So it's 70 years ago, whatever. And they like you said, they were still with the, the donkey and the horse. And, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't. They didn't go from town to town even. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, obviously with, in uh, his case, you know, he had uh, his brothers and sisters here. So, you know, and mm -hmm. they were sending him money and, and all of that. He wanted to go back, I think probably in the early seventies or something just to visit. Mm -hmm. And uh, my aunt didn't want to go because she said, there's, there's no toilets there. <laughs> Because their house okay. in 1950 okay, didn't have yeah. indoor plumbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and he was trying to explain, no, we're going, you know, we'll be in a hotel. Hotel, yeah. She didn't, she didn't want any part of it. She didn't want to yeah. go back. Uh, but things changed so much from 1950s, yeah. even to the 1970s, and then in the 1990s. And um, yeah, so it is amazing. Sometimes you see this sort of old house from the outside and and it might not be painted et cetera, et cetera. and you walk in and, and and there's a sparkling bathroom with marble countertops and yeah yeah somebody in fact somebody yeah. just somebody just told me that um mm -hmm. he said he said they went to visit the you know the relatives and he mm -hmm. said the house from the outside was and we walked in it was a beautiful place <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah because there's the idea also that you don't want to um 
be the the target of jealousy or an envy. Yeah, and I and I I heard that too that a lot mm-hmm. of people you know they they feel that way and they don't want people which is I could understand that you know it's partly what the evil eye is about. Yeah, it, that's really jealousy. It's right. it's the evil eye of jealousy. Well, this has been great as as always. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you taking the time. Uh, sure. For people who want to buy the book, what's the name again, and where can they get it? I happen to have a copy right here. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Let's see where the light is. It's called Basilicata, Authentic Italy. And so you can get it, of course, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's in paperback and also on um, all electronic media. Uh, and you can also uh, order it in a bookstore. Um, for example, I Am Books in Boston has it. Um, and But it's not going to be just on most shelves, uh, obviously a small book is usually you have to special order it. But um, yeah, it's very, just Google me and it's easy to find. Um, and I have numerous social media pages too that, that will help you along and websites. Uh, right, and we'll put, I'll put all those links out there. Okay. And um, there's also a Kindle version for anybody who's into Kindle. Yes, there's a Kindle version. There's the uh, iBook version, the, the Nook book, yeah, so. Oh, great. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.